I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for TGIF, March 18th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in about seven minutes. Okay, so Jay, I've got a list in front of me of the colleges, universities here in Canada, the top universities that have produced the most CEOs. Who do you think is, who do you think is number one? If I had to guess, I would say U of T, based on its size and rank and the fact that I live close to it. But you're going to tell me I'm wrong, I bet. I think you're wrong. And it's actually, you have to go back to your hometown. And it is Harvard. Harvard has produced the number as the most. Okay. Oh, that's okay. Good. So I believe that. I thought we meant just Canadian ones, but I guess not. No, globally. And in fact, there's no Canadian university in the top 10 here. So it's Harvard. I'll just go through it with you and you can react afterwards. Can I guess somebody? Okay, sure. Okay, yeah, Harvard. The second, saw, what do you think the second one is? I would say Stanford. Nope, it's a curveball. This is the Ecole Centrale de Paris in France. Oh. Wow, okay. What's, let me guess the next one then and get, get it wrong. I'm going to say Penn. Okay. University of Okay, you're right. You got Penn. Yeah, Penn. Okay. And then I'll, I'll go through the rest here. Stanford, this is not fair. The whole University of California system, okay. which includes UCLA, like Berkeley. UC Berkeley, like it includes everything. Columbia, Northwestern, INSEAD in France, Seoul National University. You might remember that from the hit Netflix series Squid Games and NYU. It's a good list. Uh, also a it's list a gr- that- It's a great list. Uh, schools, many of them which I've driven by, but never actually yeah. attended, not surprisingly. I have to say, I'm a bit surprised that there's not a single Canadian school in the top 10. I am uh, not surprised just, by that. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I don't know why I'm so surprised, but I guess it's because I, I went to one, and so I'd hope that there would be one in there. But alas, you know, it looks like we'll just have to start cranking out more CEOs. Well, Brett, you're a CEO, and you went to Canadian University, so good on you, and you're bucking a trend. Aside from that, what do we have for Peak Pals today? Yeah, my parents are very proud. For our first story, Food Fight. For our second story, Ross Graham. And for our third story, On Strike. For our first story, no, it's not all in your head. Stats Canada reported that food prices rose 7.4% since last February, with Canadians paying more for common goods like beef, milk, chicken, and fruits. Brett, that's that's not going to be good for my all-beef diet. What is going on? There is a celebrity, I think it was last week, who was on a raw meat diet, and the paparazzi caught her eating it outside. And it was disgusting. But here, here's the story. A 2022 Canada Food Report only predicted an increase between 5 to 7% this year, equaling an added cost of $966 on groceries for a family of four. Now, this is the largest percentage increase predicted since the report started 12 years ago. The report cited the continued effects of COVID on supply chains, increasingly hot summers, and the impact of global food waste as major conspirators for driving up these numbers. Now, the new stats can food stats, which is very difficult to say, does not even fully take into account the impact of war in Ukraine has on distribution from Europe's breadbasket and how this will raise the cost of wheat products. So, Brett, what's going up and why? Well, it looks like my shopping list here. So (laughs) milk is up 6.6%. This is partially attributed to the Canadian Dairy Commission's decision to raise the farm gate price, the price without any transportation charges of milk by six cents. Beef is up almost 17%. It's a combination of labor shortages and diminished supply of livestock feed due to hot summers and droughts across the prairies. Coffee, something I drink every day, is unfortunately up 8.5%. This is due to rising demand, higher transportation costs, and climate change. Parts of Brazil saw snow, believe it or not, for the first time in years last July. That's crazy. Uh, But actually, that's not too crazy because they're on a different schedule than us. (laughs) It's their winter, so I guess it's not that crazy, which directly impacted their coffee harvest. 
Orange is up 9.4% because Florida, which is Canada's largest orange supplier, is set to produce its smallest output since World War II due to distribution issues and a nasty bacterial disease affecting citrus. That sounds gross. There's a lot going on, Brett, but why should PayPal's care about skyrocketing food costs? Well, Canada's experiencing what we hear on the Peak Daily called everything inflation, <laughs> where everything is priced here, not just traditional indicators of inflation like gas and food. And here's the problem. Wages aren't keeping up. Average salary increase of last year was only a meager 2.8%. So increased prices in every facet of life means it will be harder for all Canadians to put food on the table. And that is not good. For our second story, Russian tech entrepreneurs are launching an Instagram dupe called, drumroll, Rossgram to help fill the void left by this week's block on the meta-owned picture-sharing app. This is all per Reuters. Jay, why are Russian entrepreneurs copying an app that was released over a decade ago? And why did it take I, them so long? <laughs> I don't know. It's, the whole thing makes me laugh, especially the Ross Graham part. It's almost like Rust Fest from Silicon Valley. Well, after Meta adjusted its hate speech policy to allow content that condoned the harm of Russian soldiers and leaders, authorities let 80 million Russian Instagram losers know they had a 48-hour window before being taken offline. Meta, for their part, issued an update clarifying that calls for the death of Vladimir Putin, or any head of state for that matter, are banned. And in a message to employees, wrote the new moderation rule is, quote, is never to be interpreted as condoning violence against Russians in general, unless it kind of was. But despite the clarification, influencers and casual users in Russia alike were forced to bid tear-filled farewells to their followers, and many urge others to follow them along on other social media platforms that aren't caught in a geopolitical crossfire. Now, Russians couldn't help but try to find a way to hold on to their beloved Instagram. And so it drove the demand for VPNs by 2,088% as Russian citizens scrambled to keep their connection to the outside world. Now, 80% of meta users follow non-Russian accounts and millions use the platform to promote their business. Now, in terms of why all of this matters, while the US model of the internet, think YouTube and meta and Twitter, I'm just gonna call it Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, is still the default for most of the world. China, the EU to a certain extent, and definitely India have all pursued alternatives that offer unique paths to what is considered an optimal control and protection of information in that country. Well, China is actually the most extreme example of what the internet could be after pursuing what is called the Great Firewall 23 years ago, which effectively cut it off from most Western services by creating an alternative and therefore censored platform. It's super interesting. The moment you go over the border from Hong Kong to China, all of your traditional apps stop working, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the whole thing. And then you have to switch over to WeChat and Baidu and, and all these Chinese versions of it. And the latest withdrawal of U.S. Internet services in Russia, this is all threatening to further fracture the Internet with Russian entrepreneurs now building their own domestic apps and networks like Rossgram, which is a copycat of Instagram. And it's just creating what many are calling the fifth Internet. And for our final story, Canadian Pacific Railway has threatened to lock out over 3,000 employees from work early Sunday morning at a time when Canada's resources need a more efficient transportation system than ever. Brett, this sounds like another supply chain headache. Can you unpack it for the Peak Pals? We just can't catch a supply chain break. So last month, the Teamsters Canada Rail Conference, the TCRC, which is the union representing railway employees, announced that 97% of its members voted in favor of a strike over 26 issues related to wages, benefits, and pensions. This put the union in a position to call a strike at any moment, as long as they give 72 hours notice. 
which would cause a disruption in Canada's supply chain with big impacts on commodities like coal and grain. CP Rail retaliated with its own 72-hour ultimatum that it would lock out employees if they couldn't reach a negotiated settlement or agree to binding arbitration. And this is a big deal, Brett. About 15% of Canada's exports travel by rail to various ports and either a strike or a lockout would strand large shipments of commodities and consumer goods. It would also strand one of Canada's hottest commodities, potash. Potash? How are we pronouncing that? Potash. Oh, did you potash. say potash? Dude, I love potash. And and here's why. It, I like potash, but I know what you're saying. No, you, you hate to see the potash supply chain get disrupted. Jake. I know. Saskatoon-based Nutrien, the world's biggest potash producer, is preparing to add about 1 million tons of potash to its production plan this year in an attempt to make up for lost production caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And this will all be not if it can't be transported. By the way, for those who don't know, potash is like a fertilizer. It's important for yep. agriculture. The potential strike lockout has raised so much concern in the province that Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe has petitioned the federal government to classify rail workers as essential, which would force services to continue during the labor dispute. Ray Orb, the president of the Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities, which is also a mouthful, told CTV News that in light of the recent supply crisis, quote, it's probably the worst time ever for a major rail carrier to go on strike, which, by the way, my commentary here is probably why they are threatening to go on strike. Every time we talk about Saskatchewan, I have to call out our producer, Dill Richardson, uh, a Saskatchewan native himself, which brings us to the bottom line. The federal government currently has no plans to designate rail workers essential, but they are strongly encouraging both sides to make compromises necessary towards reaching a fair deal. Rail transport plays a major role in supporting the Canadian economy, and any stoppages would add stress to our, I, I don't know if you can tell, already quite stressed lives, Jay. <laughs> I am stressed about the supply chain, words I never thought I would string together. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to. And only. Daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second one out, follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson, Saskatchewan native, and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale, and thank you, Brett. And Brett, we would be remiss if we didn't wish a happy birthday to Tessa Ritter, who is Dale Richardson's partner. Today is her birthday, and we wanted to give her a shout out for putting up with Dale, who has to put up with us. Happy birthday, Tessa, from all of the, the Peak Daily cast. <laughs> Happy birthday, Tessa. Have a good one, everybody. Hold up. 